Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Embodied Nourishment Podcast. So today is going to be a little bit different. Um, my daughter's birthday was back on September 19th, and at the time of this recording, today is October 4th, I believe. Um, and I wanted to do this before my daughter's birthday, but I just never got around to it, so I'll do it now. Um, I think in part the delay was that I wasn't quite sure how to go about talking about this topic. Um which I don't know why that's never held me back before. My entire podcast is like that. I never come on here with a script. I kind of just come on when I feel inspired. So I'm going I'm going to try to lean into that right now. This topic is just a little bit different because th- I, what I'm going to try to do is connect um, these systems the, that we are breaking down internally and externally to sex and sexuality and this is all related to the birth of my child (laughs) um might not seem like it right now but i'm going to explain how um so as you can see i i'm having a little trouble coming on here and um looking forward and navigating how this conversation is going to go, but whatever, I'm just going to come on here and start. So um, I will be, and I I also just kind of want to start out by saying that this podcast episode honestly might not be for everybody. Um, There may be some, some people who typically listen to this podcast who like this will just not make any sense. Um, It just won't resonate and that's okay. This just might not be an episode for you. Um, But it is something that I think about a lot and I would love to get it out into cyberspace. So here it is. Um, Okay, so I am right now at the time of this recording, I am 31 years old and my daughter just turned eight. So I had her in 2014 and... um, I had her when I was 23 years old. I had just turned 23 in July. I had her in in September. Now, I was very young when I became pregnant. I was only 22 years old. And, you know, you're, you, the human brain is not fully developed until about like 25 years old. So I was very young going through this pregnancy and my self-esteem, my confidence um, was not nearly as high as it is now. And there were even parts of my sexuality that I wasn't totally in touch with that pregnancy and childbirth got me in touch with. Um, So when I was pregnant, I really, I had this idea in my head. I really, really wanted to experience the birth of my child um, unmedicated. I wanted to do it without any pain management. I really just wanted to do it all by myself, um, just surrounded by obviously people supporting me. But, you know, I, I know now, like now that I'm older and there's social media, I see there's like crunchy moms and the home birth um, space has been expanding and, and there seems to be a lot more support around those things now than there were even eight years ago. But nonetheless, I really wanted to just experience what it was like to give birth without any intervention. And everywhere that I looked for support, 
I was met with a lot of judgment and a lot of people just telling me like, don't do it. That's ridiculous. You know, one of the comments that I would often get was, um, you know, what are you trying to prove or nobody gets a medal or a trophy for not getting the epidural. Um, and those responses, those criticisms, they just, they didn't resonate with me because, and if, if you're somebody who has wanted to go through the process of giving birth, um, unmedicated, I I know you're going to understand when I say that I wasn't looking for a trophy. I wasn't trying to prove anything. It was just an experience that I wanted to have. And that's that's simplifying it. Like I, I just simply wanted to know what it felt like. And I understood objectively that it was going to be painful. But this is the part of like where the underdeveloped um, sexuality comes into play. There was a part of me, there was a part of my sexuality that wanted to experience the pain of it. And I didn't, at, at 22 years old, I didn't quite know I didn't, I mean, I guess I could say that I didn't even quite fully, I was not fully consciously aware that the pain was that I wanted to, that the pain is what, is what I wanted to experience, even though it was. And, but furthermore, beyond that, I did not know how to express that to anybody around me. Because, you know, especially as a 22 year old, you know, how do I, look to like my sister-in-laws and well my ex-sister-in-laws now but my sister-in-laws and um my like my the women in my family or even like women on social media how do I say to people like yeah I know it's going to hurt but I I want it to hurt like I I want to feel the pain because it, it sounds kind of like you know people look at you like uh why? You know, I don't really understand. Um, but this is why I bring it back to sexuality and um, kink, really. Um, th- this podcast, I kind of want to talk a little bit, not too much. You know, I-, I don't really necessarily want to turn this into like a pornography podcast, but the topics of kink and um, and sexuality play a part in this because, I mean, uh, I know I'm not alone in in feeling like there is pleasure to be found in pain. Um, I mean, it's not uncommon for somebody to like, you know, being spanked or, um, you know, with all consent being, um, you know, given and taken, obviously spanked or hair pulled or choked or restrained. These things can be found to be very sexually arousing. Um, And there's actually a book that I'm going to shout out. I'm going to tag it in the show notes. The book is called Existential Kink and the author is Carolyn Elliott. Um, This book I recommend to absolutely every single person on this planet. This book changed my life. It, It completely changed the way that I experience everyday life, like big things, little things. And she talks about kink and how our egos 
tell us that we shouldn't want to feel pain. We shouldn't want to experience struggles and, and um, like the, the dark, murky side of life. But the reality is, is that experiences and happiness, sadness, the entire spectrum of life, it happens on a spectrum, right? A spectrum, a continuum. And unconsciously, deep down, if we strip away our egos, there are deep parts of us that do desire to experience these things. And that's why, well, this is what she kind of talks about in the book. And I tend to agree with her that sexually, we do get off sometimes on pain. Um, some, some people get off on giving the pain, right? That would be like the sadists. And then other people get off on receiving the pain. Those are the masochists. But really, we, we all have a little bit of sadism and masochism in each of us. And that's the darker part behind the ego. The ego up front tells us that we shouldn't want to experience those things. But deep down, we do. And that's why in the privacy of bedrooms and of sexual talk and kink, we are allowed to kind of let loose. And with people that we trust, we can feel the freedom of indulging those darker parts of us without our egos maybe feeling too bad about it. Although some people do experience a lot of shame with this because they don't understand that it's normal to actually want to experience these things. It can be hot. It can be sexy. Um, so bringing this back to my birth story, I, I'm going to take a moment to talk about my birth story a little bit because it's like my favorite story ever, obviously. And it has, I'm going to tie it back to tearing down the systems in place that do lead to things like disordered eating, oppressive systems, um, misogyny, patriarchy, racism, all of those things. So Okay, so here's my birth story. So, like I said, I went into this whole experience of giving birth with the desire to go about it without any kind of pain management. Um, And I started having contractions. It was a Friday morning. I started having contractions around 11.30 in the morning. They came on quickly. I... I think looking back, I was probably in labor longer than before 11.30. I just didn't know it. Like, I guess I was cramping and um, feeling like the initial stages of labor, but I just didn't connect it. I thought, oh, you know, I'm just cramping. But I guess at 11.30 in the morning, um, that's when the contractions started to get really intense and they were two minutes apart. And I started freaking out. I was like, I think this is labor. I think I'm in labor. And I called the nurse at the hospital and she said, yeah, if they're two minutes apart, you better hurry up and get here. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. So got in the car, rushed to the hospital. I remember I walked to the front desk and there was like a sign in sheet. Everybody had to sign their name. So I signed my name and I'll I'll never forget. I signed my name. 1 PM. I got to the hospital. I signed my name. The lady behind the desk said, okay, you can go have a seat in the waiting room. And I was like, the waiting room. <laughs> like, I don't think you understand. This baby feels like she's going to come out right now. And she kind of rolled her eyes at me and, you know, kind of scoffed and didn't believe me, you know, because I had just gotten there, you know. So she's like, she sees this every day, right? And people who are in labor and delivery, 
They're usually there for 16 hours, 20 hours, 24 hours. And how could I, this girl who just walked in and signed her name, need to be taken in right away? But I was persistent and I stood there and I couldn't even, I could not walk. I, I, I mean, I was just, I needed help. I needed assistance. So um, she finally, after rolling her eyes and kind of get, being in like a staring contest with me, <laughs> she, she finally went into the back and checked to see if there were any doctors or nurses available to take me back there. Finally, a nurse comes and gets me and calls me back. And she too is scoffing at me, thinking that I'm being a big baby because I just got there and there's no way that I could be this far along, right? So they put they bring me back. By the time I get back there, it's maybe like 1.30 at this point. Um, they put me up in into one of the exam rooms Um, She puts the monitors on my stomach and my contractions, lo and behold, are two minutes apart. And the nurse looks up and she goes, oh, you are far along. (laughs) Oh, I wasn't fucking kidding. (laughs) And then a doctor comes in and she does the, you know, the examines my cervix and oh, you're five centimeters dilated. You just got here. How did that happen so fast? Right? Like nobody could believe it, right? (sighs) Right? Nobody can believe that a woman could possibly be in touch with her body. They had to put monitors on me. They needed the authority doctor figure to come in and shove her fingers inside of me in order to confirm what I already knew for themselves, right? How could a woman possibly know? Anyway, so then another nurse comes in and says, okay, I'm going to get you prepped for the epidural. Doesn't ask me if I want it, if I want it. Nothing else, just, okay, let's get you prepped. And I said to her, I said, actually, I think I'm going to try without it. And she shrugged her shoulders and said, okay, and left. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm, I'm kind of sitting there on my own with my, my daughter's father. Um, for those of you who are, know, who are new or who haven't been around, um, I'm not with my daughter's father anymore. We, we are divorced and we co-parent, but um, at the time we were together. So it was just me and him, and um, I will give him the credit. You know, he, he didn't tell me what to do. He never imposed... Um, you know, he never said, I think you should get the epidural. I don't think you should. I'll give him the credit. He supported the decision that I made. Um, and that definitely helped a lot. So I am appreciative of that. It would have been nice if the doctors and nurses were on my side as well, but that's okay. Um, I did it anyway, but we'll get there. So, (laughs) so, um, She left and I'm kind of just by myself with my daughter's father who, you know, he's never been around a woman giving birth before. He doesn't really know what to do. And it's just me and him. And I'm just kind of sitting there unmedicated, not numb, feeling absolutely everything, just sitting there feeling these contractions and belting out my moans and my groans and um, the relief of the pain through my voice. Then um, things start to get a little bit more intense and things start to progress very quickly. 
they did not have a labor and delivery room available for me right away. So I had to wait in this exam room by myself. Uh, well, with me and my partner at the time. So sitting there by myself, waiting for a labor and delivery room to be open. They finally got a labor and delivery room open around like, mm, at this point, it was probably like three o'clock, a little bit after 3 p.m. And they said, okay, um, we got a room ready. Let's go. And I needed help. Like I couldn't walk down the hallway by myself. But then finally a nurse came and she was very nice. Um, and in one arm, one arm in my, my ex's arm and then my other arm in the nurse's arm. And they helped walk me down the hallway and they post me up in the labor and delivery room. At this point, it's a little, like I said, a little bit after 3 PM and mind you. Okay. So it's a little bit after 3 PM. My daughter was born at 4.04 PM. So for those of you out there who know how childbirth goes, this is like the most intense part of labor and delivery. <laughs> I I didn't know it at the time. I thought, oh, this is my first baby. I'm probably going to be here for the next eight hours at least, you know, laboring and pushing this child out. I had no idea that she was about to be born in 45 minutes. Um, nobody did. Everybody, you know, my um, I remember my mom being there at like 3 p.m. and my mom asked the nurses and the doctors like, oh, about how long do you think? And everybody told her like 16 hours. You know, they're like, oh, this is her first baby. She's never done this before. It could take a really long time. So my mom left, which like still kind of breaks my heart to this day because if she just waited 45 minutes, she could have seen my daughter be born. But she left because she's like, okay, well, 16 hours. I'll come back a little bit later to check on you, right? So my mom left um, and it's just me and, and my ex and in this in this labor and delivery room. And I, I didn't know it at the time, but I am going through transition all by myself. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming in. I'm just on my own screaming. And then I remember my, my second to last contraction before I started pushing, I screamed so loud that I, they told me like, oh, if you need me, press the button. I didn't press the button. I just screamed so loud. It must have been a scream that was recognizable by the nurses and doctors in labor and delivery because everybody heard my scream and came rushing, running, running into my room. Which like looking back now, you think about it, like it's so primal, right? It's like, it was like the the call of my voice. <laughs> it drew in like the community members. They just recognized it and knew and they came running in. And they came in and I said, I'm ready to push. And, you know, the doctor was like, spread your legs. Let me see. They were so nasty. Oh, they were so fucking nasty. She's like, let me see. And she looked and she did an exam and she goes, you're only eight centimeters. You're not ready yet. Don't push. And she, you know what she did after that? She said that to me like that. So cold and so on, so sharp like that. And then she, they just fucking left. They walked out, they left. Okay, I'm eight fucking centimeters in transition. She says, you're not ready, don't push, and leaves, just leaves me there. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So 
I remember I looked at my ex and I said, I said, I don't know if I can do this. Meaning like, I don't know if I can go through with my original plan of not having pain management because it was just so intense. It it was just so unbelievably painful. And again, I give him credit. He looked at me and said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Now, fast forward, looking back, it's so funny because when I have this, con- when I, when I tell this story and I have this conversation with other people, everybody says, well, I, when I have this conversation with people who have also gone through unmedicated childbirth, um, free birth, if you will, I learned that free birth means that you don't do it in a hospital. I used that phrase incorrectly before I said I had a free birth, but apparently a free birth means no hospital, no system intervention whatsoever. It's like, you're completely on your own in the wild or like in your room or something. So, um, I want to say free birth, but I guess technically it wasn't because I was in a hospital, but anyway, Everybody who I talk to who have gone through some form of free birthing, they all say to me, and this would have been really nice to know beforehand if I had the proper support, but everybody says the moment that you feel like you can't do it anymore, that's when you're just about done and it's over. And they were so right because on the next contraction, I was 10 centimeters and pushing. (laughs) And And then my daughter was born like 10 minutes later, but... I want to talk more about the span of time between my contraction that brought me from eight centimeters to 10 centimeters and then my 10 minutes of pushing because in that moment is when all of the fucking magic happened and in the moment, obviously, right, I was 23 years old, in the moment, I could not I obviously did not have the reflection that I have on it now at 31 years old, but, oh, I'm just, I'm going to talk about it all. So, okay. So I have my contraction. I'm at 10 centimeters. Now I let out that same primal roar. (laughs) And again, that same roar without pressing the little button to let them know that I need help called in back those nurses and doctors and again they walked in scoffing at me they seemed pissed off annoyed that the doctor who said oh who just five minutes ago said don't push you're not ready yet comes back in like oh let's check her again I just told her not to push like like she didn't say that but like that was the fucking attitude right like I just told her and you can tell that they were really fucking annoyed with the fact that I didn't get an epidural because they were really annoyed with the fact that I was in pain because they didn't want to fucking deal with it right I was they 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 would have just preferred if I was numb and if I could just wait, if, if me and my daughter could just wait until they were ready for me. So they were, they were annoyed with me from my 1 p.m. signing when I signed in all the way up until the point when I pushed this child out of me. Okay, so anyway, so the same doctors and nurses come in, the head doctor, she's all mad at me, right? Uh, like, you know, the attitude was, I just told you not to push. What are you screaming again for? Okay. So I spread my legs for her willingly this time. And I said, I'm pushing. And she looks at my vagina 
And then she looks at me and she says, oh yeah, you're ready. Oh yeah, you're ready. Oh yeah, I was ready. Imagine that a woman who is not numbed out by the system is completely, thoroughly, correctly in touch with what her body is doing and what it needs to do in that moment. Wow, go figure. Okay, so up my legs go into like the little store of things. Oh, looking back, I so wish I was giving birth standing up because that killed my back. But I've heard afterwards that the doctors and nurses prefer that you give birth lying on your back because it's easier for them to see what's going on. Uh, Anyway, okay, so my legs go into the stirrups, legs open, ready to push this child out. And then all of a sudden, this magical thing starts happening. All of a sudden, word must have gotten out that there was a woman in labor and delivery room number four who was giving birth without an epidural, without any pain management. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of these people wanted to watch. Now, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a little bit of information. I'm going to jump ahead in the story just so that you can experience this part of the story even better. So after I gave birth to my daughter and everything was cleaned up and settled down, the nurse, the, the one nice nurse came to me and, you know, we were just kind of shooting the shit and talking. And she said, she said, you know, I have to, I got to tell you, um, when you were laboring in here by yourself all alone and you were screaming in pain all of the doctors and nurses were standing outside the room and they were taking bets on how long you were going to last until you gave in to pain management and I just looked at her <laughs> I was like what and she immediately and I, I loved her I loved this nurse I'm not saying anything bad about her She looked at me and she could tell immediately that what she just told me, she should not have said. And she said that too. She said, I'm sorry, I should not have told you that. And I said, no, I thank you for telling me that because this is going to be a great fucking story now. (laughs) But okay, can can, can you believe that? Guys, can you believe that? I, I am 23 years old, alone, in a labor and delivery room, screaming in pain, and all of the healthcare, quote unquote, healthcare workers are standing outside my room taking bets with each other instead of helping me, instead of supporting my fucking decision. They're taking bets. Okay? And you know who won the fucking bet? Me. I won the bet. So anyway, let's rewind now, okay? So now I put my legs up. I'm getting ready to push this child out of me. And all of a sudden, all of these people start walking in my room. All of the people who were taking bets on me, who were, who were betting on the fact that I couldn't do it. I remember there were students who came in. There was a group of students. There was like five of them. And each of them, 
I remember they said their name, introduced themselves and where they were from, and they asked me for my permission to watch me give birth. (laughs) And you know me, I said, yes, (laughs) come on in, watch me do this. Oh my God, it felt so empowering because I I started realizing what was going on. All these people started coming in because word got out that there was a woman in labor and delivery room number four who was about to push a baby out of her vagina completely in her feels, feeling every, not numb, no pain management whatsoever. And it's probably something that they will rarely ever see in their career in the labor and delivery department. Um, So they wanted to see it. This was a rare sight to see and everybody wanted to come see my vagina. (laughs) They wanted to see me do it. So I remember I gave each and every one of them permission. Nurses were coming in. Doctors were coming in, introducing themselves. Hi, can I? And mind you, this is in between me, like, uh, well, like getting ready to push. It's kind of blurry a little bit, like getting ready to push and also pushing, um, coming in, asking me, hi, I'm so-and-so from, from so-and-so. Um, do I have the, I'm asking for your permission to watch the birth of your child. Yes, yes, yes. Right. I said yes to every single person. I'm telling you, there must have been somewhere between 15 and 20 people in my labor and delivery room by the time I pushed this child out of me 10, 15 minutes later. I said to each and every one of them, and it's so sweet knowing, I am so happy that that nurse told me that they were taking bets on me because what I did, I didn't even know it in the moment, but what I was doing when I gave them permission, essentially I said, yes, put your face in my fucking pussy and watch this pussy do what you said it couldn't do. And I popped a fucking child into their literal faces unmedicated, not numb, and I won the bet that they were all taking out in the hallway. I so wish I could have said, yes, put your face in my pussy, bitch. I so wish I could have said that, but I didn't know to say that, <laughs> but I totally would have if I knew t- if I knew that they were taking bets. Oh gosh. Okay. So anyway, that's my birth story. And Like I said before, you know, at 23 years old, um, I wasn't fully aware of all of the systems in place that were working against me. And like between the attitudes of the doctors and the nurses and the push for the medication and the, the lack of support and the denial and how every step of the way, everybody was just flabbergasted at the fact that I was actually in touch with my body because they weren't interfering, which I guess doesn't happen when they interfere, right? Um, so now it, you know, I've obviously have relived this story in my head many times. And as I have done the work of divesting from diet culture and helping people get back in touch with their bodies, I can say that this was the point, that this was the day, the moment, the point in my life where everything turned around and made the work that I do now possible. Because it's, just, it's such a microcosm, that event, my, me giving birth, that was such a microcosm of the, the, 
everything that the systems at large that disconnect us from our bodies and I went against it I, I didn't even know I was going against it I just wanted to feel the pain of childbirth that's it that's all I wanted to experience and let me tell you going back to kink right sexuality kink um oh god after I gave birth and yes like I know people ask me all the time when I talk about this story. Yes, it hurts. It fucking hurts, man. (laughs) And I had the pleasure. Oh, it's funny I said pleasure because I meant to use it sarcastically, but it fits, right? I had the pleasure of the ring of fire. Um, I know some of you will know what that is. Not every single person who gives birth experiences that, but the ring of fire is when the, like the, the vulva, I think that's what the vulva, the lips of the vagina, when they get spread as far as possible and the skin is stretching so far and so hard that it literally feels like that area is on fire. Yes, I experienced that. It felt like somebody took a book of matches lit it and just held it to my vagina. And I remember screaming at the doc, the bitch, the doctor who gave me the, the fucking attitude. I remember screaming at her when I had the ring of fire. I said, please just pull her out of me. Like, please just pull her out. And again, she gave me a snarky attitude. She said, that's not how it works. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe? I'm, I am giving birth unmedicated by myself and I'm just asking you know like I know that's not how it works right like I'm, I'm asking for help like right like I'm asking for some kind of emotional support anything any like you got this you can do this we're almost done anything but no I got that's not how it works okay bitch I'm pushing a baby out of me like you could be a little nicer but okay Um, and then I remember like looking to one of the doctors behind her and because I knew she wasn't helping me. Right. And I remember looking to one of the doctors behind her and, and just looking and and looking to tell a professional, I just said, like, I said, it feels like I'm on fire. I just, I remember calling that out. Like, I feel like I'm on fire. And one of like the, the feeble voices I, I faintly remember from one of the doctors said, just, just yelled out to me. She was like, oh, that's normal. I'm like, okay, it's normal. Great. <laughs> I feel like I've been lit on fire. It's normal. Great. Get this baby out of me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay. So I was talking about kink, right? So yes, it was very painful. Um. But, ah, and this is like where the sexuality comes in, right? When this experience was over, once she came out of me, like that was it. The pain was gone. It's not something that lingers. Birthing the placenta, that was very painful too, but that's kind of irrelevant to what I'm talking about. Um, Once she came out, all of the pain of labor and delivery was completely gone. And I'll tell you, when this process was done after like the placenta came out, I was up and walking around 10 minutes later. Fine. I wasn't numb. So I didn't have to wait. I could feel everything. It was safe for me. I didn't have any like drugs going through my body. So I was able to get up out of the bed and move. And let me tell you, okay. And this is the part that 
that if you're if you are a kinky person and you are interested in power dynamics, you're going to love this, okay? Once it was all done and I got out of the bed and I started walking around, the euphoria. Oh my god. I was so high. There was nothing like it. I I have never experienced anything like that before. And I I don't think I never will again. I okay. I don't want any more children. I'm done having kids. But true story. I have looked into becoming a surrogate just so that I could experience this again. Because yes, it was so painful. But when I say it was the most incredible pain of my life, I mean it in like this really kinky, pleasurable, euphoric way I did not sleep for 48 hours after giving birth I was up for straight 48 hours I could not fall asleep because I was so high I was elated absolutely elated it it, it was just it the 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 pleasure the the uh, and, and I will say that being pregnant and giving birth completely transformed. I want to say transformed my sexuality, but I, I don't I don't think transformed is the right word. I think it awakened and it enlivened that part of me that was sleeping. Because after that I became one kinky ass motherfucker. <laughs> and I have been chasing that high ever since. And I've gotten it. I've had some wonderful partners. Um, and it, and, and it just goes back to, see, like, this is the part where I was worrying about making it all make sense. Um, I just, I, I just wonder when we're talking about these oppressive systems that are in place, kind of like, kind of like, um, at the hospital, right? The system that was in place was telling me that I should be medicated. I should be numbed out. They have a certain protocol, a certain way of doing things. And when I came in, in my full embodied self and refused the system, it dismantled them. They didn't know what, right? Like I did not single-handedly dismantle the labor and delivery obstetrics um, system in this country by giving birth unmedicated in that labor and delivery room no but in the moment I disheveled everybody nobody really quite knew what to do with me because I knew what to do myself I didn't need them um and it's it it makes me wonder right when when we're talking about kink and especially this book that I said Caroline Elliott who wrote existential kink who talks about how our egos um there's a part of our egos that desire those dark parts and I it makes me wonder how much of the world that we live in is really all of the things that we find to be oppressive and suffocating and painful Um, How much of it is the repression of our dark secret desires? Now, I am by no means suggesting that the oppression of racism and misogyny and patriarchy and 
um, wealth inequality, all of those things. I am by no means suggesting that these are things that we secretly want to experience. No, we don't. The, but the point in, in Carolyn's book is that there is a dark part of our psyche that is curious about these things and that does want to experience these things in order to have the entire spectrum of the whole kinky human experience. And in her book, which I really suggest everybody reads, um, in her book, she talks about how when you embrace these parts of you, these dark parts of you, they, they, um, lose their ability to control your life anymore, right? So, and I just wonder if all of the oppressive systems in place is from the collective, um, if it's from the, if it is from the collective unrealization or the collective suppression of these dark kinky thoughts of us that are these dark kinky thoughts in our psyche, if they are unconsciously being created in our outward world, because maybe there is a part of our psyche that does desire to experience these, these darker things in life. But so, right. And this is like a huge conversation. (laughs) Like I don't have the, I don't have the answer, but I can say from my own experience, Once I personally started to embrace the fact that, yeah, there are some kind of darker sides of life that are enjoyable, like pain and like with sexuality, right? Pain can sometimes be pleasure. Pain can be transmitted to pleasure. And I'm not quoting her directly. I don't think I'm getting this exactly right, but she she uses the I'm paraphrasing here but she talks about turning your poison into medicine and she talks a lot about how once you accept these parts of your psyche these darker parts of your psyche they no longer have the ability to control you anymore they don't come out in the conscious anymore she she I will give one example she talks about money um in one part of the book, like money and financial struggles. And she talks about financial struggles as like one big kinky torture scene. And I remember, again, I'm paraphrasing, but she talks about how, you know, if, if you are living like paycheck to paycheck and um, you're worrying every single month if you're going to have all of your bills paid, and then at the end of the month, you finally, you, you get, um, you know, you you get as much income as you need and you're able to pay all your bills and then you take that sigh of relief and it's like, ah, that's like the climax, right? She calls it this big freaky financial torture scene. And she talks about how until you can admit that you enjoy this, that you enjoy torture, that you enjoy the suffocation and you enjoy this freakiness of this financial torture that you're experiencing every month, you are going to continue to have money struggles. Once you can finally see that you are freaky, you are this kinky freak who loves torture, that is when your money mindset starts to change and it starts to not negatively affect you in the conscious everyday life. 
And that's what she talks about turning your poison into medicine, where you can kind of look at it and be like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like, I, I maybe I am a little kinky. I, I like this. I like the torture of it and the relief that I feel every month, that climax of the, the oh, I've been relieved. Yeah, it's hot, actually. It's kind of fucking hot. <laughs> um, and it, it's kind of similar to... Um, to my birth story, right? It, it's that excruciating pain, right? So, like the unbelievable, incredible, incredible pain. When it was finally done and over with, I was high for 48 hours. I couldn't even sleep. I was euphoric, right? That was the, that was the climax part of it. The, oh my God, that was amazing, Right. And like if you're into the kink world, the kink scene, um, um, the, like you, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Like you have a kinky scene, you're, you're being tortured, you're being, you know, flogged or spanked or you have some pain being inflicted on you. And then eventually, you know, you have your orgasms and you you climax and it's like, oh, my God. And then it's just bliss and euphoria because there are parts of your brain and your psyche that does desire to experience it because there is pleasure in it. There is medicine in there. And um, being able to go through that and to experience that, the wider spectrum of things, has allowed me to understand more deeply. um, (laughs) This is going to seem like I'm totally shifting gears, um, but it's, it's, been able to help me understand like diet culture more and these oppressive systems in place. I mean, think of like, right, diet culture, beauty standards. It's like these big, huge, oppressive things that tell us how we should look, how we should feel about our bodies, what we should look like. We are being oppressed in many, many ways with food and body and they cause us to like really self-mutilate and it really hurts us. But maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something in there that's kind of hot about like somebody telling you like, hey, you should eat a certain way and you should look a certain way. And if you don't, then you're X, Y, and Z. And it's like humiliating. And it's like, you know what? Humiliation can kind of be a little bit sexy. Like it could be kind of hot being told what to do. It could be kind of hot when somebody tells me like how I should look. And in like a kinky scene, like it, I could totally get off on that. But when we don't admit that, then it comes out and it affects us in our real everyday life. We have eating disorders because we're like, it's so painful and hurtful. We don't know how to deal with it. So we just hurt ourselves, right? And on the flip side, the sadistic side of it, maybe you're the one who likes to do the telling, right? Maybe you like telling people, hey, you should look like this. You should look like that. You should eat this. You shouldn't eat that because you have some kind of evil in you that you want to inflict onto others others hello grandparents who guilt trip and body shame right right like that's just like a few examples my point my point being is that all of these parts are inside of us and the moment that I started like getting kinky whenever it's so funny okay so like on dating apps if I ever go on a dating app yo people are so fucked up in the head they're so nasty now Mind you, I, yes, I acknowledge I'm in a smaller body. I acknowledge my thin privilege. Um, 
And my experience on dating apps is coming from somebody in a smaller body. And I will say this. Guys can be really mean. No, guys can be really mean no matter what your body looks like. Okay, I have got, it doesn't matter. Okay, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your body looks like. If a guy wants to be abusive and degrading and humiliating, he's going to find a way to do it no matter what you look like. I have had guys match me just to tell me that I need to get a boob job. I'm too skinny. I need to gain some weight. If I ever want to be attractive, I need to be a, a 10 out of 10. I can't get a bigger ass, eat some, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what you look like. They're like, they, an abuser is going to abuse. But okay, so here's the example now tying it back to existential kink. Now, because I realize that in some people, They might have this dark, sadistic, suppressed side of them that causes them to lash out at strangers on the internet. And I realized that maybe somewhere deep in my psyche, the humiliation and the degradation of this can kind of be some kind of kinky turn on that we can play with, right? Oh my God, I have had the most funniest exchanges with these things. My comebacks to these guys I'll, I will respond to them and let them know that when they talk to me like that, they're turning me on. <laughs> I mean, they're not because it's so stupid, right? But I go back to the book Existential Kink and because what they're trying to do is they're trying to own me, right? They're trying to own me and assert some kind of power and control by telling me that, you know, you need to get lip injections, you need a boob job, you have to gain some weight, you're too skinny, you're ugly, blah, 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 right? So there's this, there's this power dynamic that they're trying to establish. And I recognize, okay, there's some existential kink here. You have these parts of you that you're suppressing that make you feel so little and so insecure. And you feel like you need, you feel small inside about that. So you're trying to create a power dynamic to control me to feel better about myself, right? And then on my end of it, I'm like, you know what? If we were in like a kinky scene right now, like a a contained scene with like consent and shit, you know, um, like this is kind of funny, right? Like, oh, he's trying to gain some kind of power and control over me, trying to make me feel bad about myself, trying to humiliate me and degrade me. And I'm going to have fun with it. So I'll respond to those comments and I'll be like, oh my God, you are turning me on so much right now. Harder be more degrading, more humiliating. Come on, daddy, give it to me harder. And they get so confused. Oh my God, it's so fun. I had this one guy who was like, oh my God, he he started panicking. He's like, what, what, what are you talking about? No, no, that's not how this is supposed to go. What are you talking about? I was laughing so hard. Um, and then he, it's so funny. He actually ended up reporting me on Bumble for abuse. And then I got kicked from Bumble, which is like a, whatever, that's a whole funny side comment, but it was so funny because, you know, the point being he was trying to own me and because of, because I have this, like, this is what I mean about how this book changed my life is that when, when things start to go dark and humiliating and degrading and depressing, I just, I take it out of the dark parts and I like shine this really bright light on it. And it, and it's like, you know, you can't own me because I, I see what's happening here. I see in you that you have this sadistic part in you and I have this part of me that likes like the masochistic end of it. 
So in that case, let's put it in the light and have fun with it. Can you fuck with it? No? Oh, okay, then you, you don't have any business talking like this then because you don't know what you're doing. And then they run and hide. And it, it's just, it, this, you got to read this book. It has completely, completely changed my life in this way. And I know like there's some of you probably, how, let's see. Oh God, 51 minutes. Wow. And I said, I was worried that I wasn't going to have content. Isn't that so funny how that happens? Um, I know there's probably some of you right now who are like, what the fuck is she talking about? This is a lunatic. I'm unfollowing her on Instagram. She makes no sense and I'm scared. And I get that. There's probably some of you who are like that right now. (laughs) I am just sharing my experience of my birth and how it has led me to the work that I do. Because if you have been impacted by my work at all, if you have healed your relationship with food at all, it, 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 and I'm not saying you have to do this to heal your relationship with food. I, and I'm going to sound a little bit like cocky and full of myself for a second, but the reason why I am able to do this emotional labor for you without you might even realizing it is because I'm no longer afraid and I haven't been afraid for a while to go into those really dark, nasty, murky parts and to shine a light on them. And, and like, I kind of shine the light on it for you so that you don't, you don't have to go. Not everybody's into kink, right? Like, not everybody's so openly like, yeah, I want to be flogged and spanked and choked and my hair pulled and let me call you daddy. You know, like, not everybody is into that and I get that. Um, but that's okay. You don't have to be, right? But having this understanding of like existentialism and existential kink and the human psyche and not being afraid to go into those really dark areas that our egos tell us not to go is like literally uh, the entire um, foundation of like all my content really on Instagram. Because I'm able to go there and shine a light on it, I can reframe it and repurpose it and repackage it in a way where I turn that poison into the medicine. Because it can be medicine. Um, Yeah, so here we are. We are turning our poison into medicine. And I just, I don't really know how to end this. Okay, we're at 54 minutes. I kind of just wanted to talk about my birth experience and kink and existentialism and how it all kind of ended up tying into my work as a dietitian and divesting from diet culture. Um, I hope I didn't freak you guys out, but if I did, I encourage you to read Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott. I'm going to put it down in the show notes for you so that you all can go buy it on Amazon or from wherever you buy your books and read it because, whew. Um, So yeah, that's it. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for listening to my birth story. I hope that this helps some of you. If you listen to this and it resonates with you, or if you hate it and you think it's so gross and it's so weird and so offensive and so annoying, I want you to message me and have a conversation with me about it because I love it when people DM me and try to degrade and humiliate me. Actually, I love it. (laughs) So that's that. All right, guys, thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.